He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord. And all God's people said, forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may be seated. The author of the Shepherd Psalms is David. Psalms 22, 23, and 24 are called the Shepherd Psalms. We talked about the fact that he's depicted as the Savior in Psalm 22, the shepherd in Psalm 23, and the sovereign in Psalm 24, or to put it another way, the king of glory. David penned about half of the Psalms in the Psalter. Uh, That's the book of Psalms. And so David was known as the sweet psalmist of Israel, but he was also a shepherd. So David could very much relate to what he was given by the Holy Spirit about how God is in leading us. And I want you to Take a peek at 1 Samuel 16. This is when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, and he is going to pick the new king of Israel. He's going to anoint the new king, I should say. And in verse 7, the Lord says to Samuel of 1 Samuel 16, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, 1 Samuel 16. 16.7, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Next, Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Thus, Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? He said, There remains yet the youngest, and behold, he is tending the sheep. There's David, and he was a shepherd. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And so he sent and brought him in. Now he, David, was ruddy with beautiful eyes and a handsome appearance. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, And remember, in one of the verses in the psalm, he anoints my head with oil. Arise, anoint him, for this is he. And Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon David from that day forward. And Samuel arose and went to Ramah. If you turn back to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd was written by a man who was a shepherd. And he had shepherded sheep and he would be be taught now to shepherd God's people. When Jesus was talking to Peter at the great breakfast in John chapter 21, there's an exchange between the good shepherd and a under shepherd of the good shepherd, Peter. And there's a fire and there are fish being uh, prepared. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, Lord, you know that I love you. And then he says three times to Peter, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, tend my sheep. 
I'm going to go back to my father and I'm going to hand you this responsibility. I'm going to hand you, not the baton in this case, but the shepherd's staff so that you can lead my people, Peter. And even Peter's fall and all that he had gone through in those three, three and a half years was preparation to be a shepherd of God's people. David had learned to shepherd sheep and now he would become, eventually he would become the shepherd of God's people. It's a very familiar agrarian image in the Bible. People who would read something like this would get it right away. We may not get it that well because we are not agrarian people. We are pretty much city folk, and I get that. We might put it this way, the Lord is my coach, or the Lord is my teacher, or something like that. That might uh, resonate a little better with us, but uh, if you've ever seen some of these images, and if you're interested in more on this, I would highly recommend that you have a book on your shelf that you keep for the rest of your life. And and it is a shepherd looks at Psalm 23, written by Keller. A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. And as an actual shepherd, he brings you into the life of the shepherd and the sheep and gives a beautiful look at what that's really like. The Lord, Psalm 23, verse 1, is my shepherd. You'll notice... In Psalm 23, 1, that Lord is capitalized. I've reminded you, but let me just say it to you again, that whenever you see the Lord in all caps, that is Yahweh. That's the tetragrammatron or Y-H-W-H. That's how it comes over to us in consonants. The vowels were uh, left out at some point, so we don't know what the vowels were. But every time you see Lord, all caps, that's Yahweh. So Yahweh is my shepherd this is the key image and because the lord is my shepherd david writes i shall not want now one thing that i've done over the years is tried to put some headings on each of the verses and verse one speaks to me of a relationship david says the lord is my shepherd and i've said to groups of people before listening to Psalm 23, perhaps at a memorial service where there would be a mixed multitude, and I'm not sure everybody's a Christian or knows the hope of Jesus Christ, I might say something like this. Is the Lord your shepherd? Could you say this? Could you say the Lord is my shepherd? Not that he's just a shepherd, not even that he's the shepherd, but could you say, would you say tonight, he is my shepherd? You know, this is the relationship that we speak of when we talk about the fact that Christianity is a relationship. This is one of the images that depict that. It is the shepherd-sheep relationship, and it's a precious one. It's a special one. And, of course, we've heard a lot of things about sheep, and we know sheep are not very smart, and we know that we're compared to sheep in the Bible, and that's to give us an indication about how dumb we can be. Sheep have been known to follow one another into open fires, to follow one another off of cliffs. They really have no way to defend themselves. And one of the saddest things that a shepherd will tell you that they would ever come upon is a sheep that is cast. A cast sheep is a sheep that's fallen on its back and cannot roll over. And a cast sheep is a very sad sight. And for a predator, it is a lamb chop just sitting on a plate. And... uh, There's a psalm that says, Why so cast down, O my soul? Put your hope in God. A cast sheep is a sad situation because they can't get themselves right 
up. And so sometimes we feel cast down. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And so I, I pray that tonight you could say Yahweh is my shepherd. If you can say Yahweh is my shepherd, then you can claim the rest of the promises in the psalm. If you don't know Jesus as your shepherd, these promises are not yours. I have to be honest. But they can be yours if you would make him your shepherd. In Matthew 9.36, Jesus looked at the multitudes and seeing the multitudes, the Bible says he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and downcast. Remember what your Bible says, they were like sheep without a shepherd. And there's a lot of sheep in our world today that don't have a shepherd or they might have the wrong type of shepherd. In John chapter 10, Jesus depicts himself as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. That's John 10, 11, and you can also look at John 14, but all, John 10, 14, but all of John 10, at least the, the first 18 verses are about the shepherding ministry of the Lord. And he talks about how the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they, the sheep, might have life and have it what? To the full or have it more abundantly. That's what the Lord wants for you. And that's right in that imagery of the good shepherd. But Jesus looked upon the people of Israel and he saw them scattered and downcast. There's a lot of people who have no shepherd or they have the wrong shepherd and they are being led in the wrong direction. And sometimes what we do is, you know, we've known the shepherd's voice at some point in our lives, but sometimes we have lost touch with that voice or we've wandered away. Uh, we, we know that sheep tend to wander. The old hymn says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. And so this is how we can be like sheep. We can go astray. And Peter tells us that we need to return to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Psalm 95, 6 says, He is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And then he says, Today, if you would hear his voice. Uh, the writer of Hebrews picks up this particular idea that we need to hear the voice of God and not harden our hearts to the voice of our shepherd. I have a little dog that I love. She's... Uh, a uh, little uh, shepherd uh, mix. We're not really sure what she is. She kind of looks like she has some beagle, but she's always by my side. She always, you know, if I don't feel good, she'll lay right next to me. She's a very faithful dog. But there's times when she doesn't want to obey. There's times when I'll say, get off that bed, and I, I have to admit I'm pretty soft with the dog. <laughs> and, and she'll just go, she'll give you that look like, no, I don't think I'm going to listen to you right now, Right? So, we can be like that. Be on guard for yourselves, Paul says to the Ephesian elders, Acts 20, 28. And for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he, Jesus, purchased with his own blood. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. If you have an NIV, it says, I shall not be in want. The result when the Lord is your shepherd is you have supply. And that's what I wrote next to part B of verse 1. If the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. That is, I shall have everything that I need. 
This word has the idea in Hebrew of being utterly contented in the good shepherd's care and consequently not craving or desiring anything more because the Lord, my shepherd, is all that I need. It speaks of safety and satisfaction. Psalm 27.4 says, One thing I have desired of the Lord, and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Uh, Max Lucado says of this verse, David had found the pasture where discontentment goes to die. It's as if he is saying, what I have in God is greater than what I don't have in life. Paul put it this way, I have learned the secret of contentment. And it is a secret to many people. And there are many discontented people in our world. And I don't know if that's you tonight, if you feel a level of discontentment. But you can find contentment in Christ. In fact, Paul goes on to say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I will not be in want. You see, we brought nothing into this world, and one thing is certain, we're not going to take anything out of it either. So we should be content with what we have. It doesn't mean you shouldn't pursue goals. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be smart with your money. It doesn't mean you shouldn't invest or try to get ahead in work and do your due diligence, because there's many verses that say to work hard. And if you don't work, you shouldn't eat. But it means that wherever you find yourself at the end of a day, hopefully you can, you can kick your feet up and say, you know what, I'm content because the Lord is my shepherd. That's the main reason you should be able to say it. Not that I have every single you know, thing at my beck and call, but because I have the main things, I have the most important thing in my life where it needs to be. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why I can be content. There's a lot of people who have a lot of the creature comforts in life, but they don't know the Lord is their shepherd, therefore they are not content. And there's a lot of discontentment among people who have a lot of stuff. When one of the wealthiest men in history, John D. Rockefeller, died, his accountant was asked, how much did John D. leave? The accountant replied, all of it. <laughs> you see, you're going to leave your stuff somebody else whatever you've amassed in this life somebody else is going to take it and they may manage it well and they may not and uh, they may care about it as much as you did and they may not and you may have you know done all this blood sweat and tears to make us thing a certain way and they might inherit it and change it all around maybe you get a, a peek from heaven to see what they're no Why? I don't think so. He makes me, verse 2, lie down. Pastor John was saying that uh, earlier the silver saints uh, studied Psalm 23, and he pointed out that God has to make us lie down. And he makes me to lie down. And, you know, when my kids were growing up, bedtime was always an interesting uh, situation because they didn't want to go to sleep. Uh, they were just all, and, and I would do this as a dad. I would get them fired up right before bed. I did that dad thing where, you know, I would wrestle and tickle, and, and my wife would go, what are you doing? They need to settle down. And I was doing all the dad stuff, and Mr. Drill, 
My, my famous thing was Mr. Drill. Here he comes. Didn't make for a calm, you know, peaceful cup of tea before you go to bed. So sometimes we had to say, lay down. And they would say, no, I'm not sleepy. If you were a sheep, anyway. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. You going to make me? Yep. <laughs> you shouldn't do that to God, by the way. You shouldn't say, well, make me. Oh, he'll make you, all right. He'll make you lie down. And you better hope it's green pastures. <laughs> but on a positive note, verse 2, he makes me to lie down in green pastures speaks of rest. God wants you to rest. It's okay to rest. In fact, Pastor John brought up that an insight which is interesting. He said, you know, you got to rest so you can do the rest of the stuff that's in the psalm, like follow him. And, uh, you know, hear the voice of the shepherd and have the energy and strength you need to do the rest of the commands. You got to have times of rest. And you can rest in his presence. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to be still and know that he is God. Keller writes in his book, the strange thing about sheep is that, that because of their very makeup, it's almost impossible for them to lie down unless four requirements are met. Owing to their timidity, they refuse to lie down unless they are free from all fear. Note, a stray jackrabbit suddenly bounding from behind a bush can stampede a whole flock. Sheep have little or no way to defend themselves so that two dogs can kill almost 300 sheep in one night. Because of the social behavior within the flock, sheep uh, will not lie down unless they are free from friction, unless they are free from parasites, free from hunger, and free from all fear. Because a sheep is a sheep with its own reasons for fear from predators, it owns friction uh, friction problems, its surroundings, and need for food. It cannot control all these factors to be at peace. It is highly dependent on the shepherd providing this environment. Note the two pronouns. He makes me, he leads me. He makes me to lie down, he leads me, as we'll get to in a moment. He is the one in charge. He is the one that allows me to rest. Philip Keller writes, in the course of time, I came to realize that nothing so quieted and reassured the sheep as to see me in the field. The presence of their master and owner and protector put them at ease as nothing else could do. This applied day and night, or as Isaiah puts it in 26.3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will give him shalom Shalom is literally how this would read. And remember, in Hebrew, shalom is well-being in every part of who you are. The reason that I can rest at night, I, my pillow is soft, is because the Lord is my shepherd. If I was trying to navigate this crazy world without that shepherd, I think I would have many restless nights. And I know some of you have trouble sleeping for other reasons, insomnia and and the like, and there can be a lot of reasons, and, and I have my moments, but I'll tell you, from a big picture standpoint, 
It is my shepherd that dispels my fears. He leads me. It's him doing it. He leads me beside quiet or still waters. I wrote in my notes, this speaks of refreshment. He gives me rest in verse 2a and refreshment in verse 2b. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, says Jesus, John 14, 27. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. You could put it this way, don't be afraid. The shepherd gives living water. He said to the woman at the well, if you drink of this water, John 4, you're going to thirst again and again and again. On the last day of the great feast in John 7, 37, Jesus stood up and he cried out, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. John goes on to say, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of what? Living water. And this he spoke of the Spirit, who was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. John 7, 37 through 39. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. When God was uh, getting ready to judge his people in Jeremiah 2.13, he says, My people have committed two evils. Jeremiah 2.13, They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can't even hold water. Why do we do that? Why, instead of drinking from the springs of life, do we drink from broken and dead cisterns. It's been said of cistern water, it's almost like bathtub water. <laughs> in Hebrew, uh, when they want to convey an idea, we do it with bullet points and language. They do it with pictures. And God is pictured as water, but not just water, running water, living water, a stream, a waterfall. That's the way that God is depicted. A cistern is a place that holds water, but nothing moves it. So it can't stay fresh, and it becomes almost like that old, stale bathtub water. And God says, why would you go to that when you could have what I offer you? Why do we drink at the wrong fountains? Why do we do that? You know, we've tasted the bitter water enough, have, have we not? But still, we tend to do it. This one, this good shepherd, restores my soul. That speaks of healing. If you've been taking notes with me, I'm trying to give you different headings of each verse. The word restore is shub in Hebrew. It's S-H-U-W-B, or you could say S-H-O-O-B, shub. And the word means to refresh and to repair. And in Hebrew, it has the idea of turning around or repenting. When you repent, he restores. Amen? And God is a God of restoration. He's a restorer of broken hearts and broken lives. He restores us from our bad decision-making. He restores us from the penalty of our sins. And if you think about the idea of sin, he restores the Christian from the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and then finally, the presence of sin. When you get saved, you're restored from the penalty of sin. He took that away at the cross. Then, as you go on in your Christian life, the power of sin uh, loses its weight, and then finally, one day, you'll be restored from the presence of sin. You'll have a new body and a new kingdom. 
There'll be no more curse there. Amen? This is the beauty of what it means to have the Lord as your shepherd. He is the restorer of my soul. He makes me to turn upright. I think of that idea of that cast sheep being on its uh, back and it can't help itself and he comes along, my shepherd comes along and he gets me back on my feet again. Amen? And I think every Christian in this room and those of you watching tonight, that's one way you could describe what happened to you is you were laying there as like a predator to the wolf and the good shepherd came in and he put you back right again. He put you back on your feet again. I have a picture in my office and it's got Psalm 91 on it and it's got this little sheep and the little sheep is leaning against the shepherd and the shepherd is supposed to be Jesus and he's got his staff there and in the distance up on a rock are two wolves and they're looking at that little sheep and they want to eat that little sheep for lunch like but the good shepherd's standing right there and the wolves are keeping their distance i want to get as close to my shepherd as i can amen so he'll protect me from that roaring lion he guides me this is now purpose he guides me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake he keeps me on track my sheep john 10 27 hear my voice i know them and they what they follow me, and I give them eternal life. Remember when Jesus was starting his earthly ministry, and he looked at James and John, and he said two words, follow me, follow me. The job of a sheep is to follow the shepherd. It's not the job of a shepherd to follow a sheep, by the way. Lord, I'm going to be going over here, and I pray that you'll bless what I'm going to do over here. Lord, I'm going to go over here, and... Would you uh, be there? No, you follow the shepherd. That's the job of the sheep. Verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I wrote after verse 4, faithfulness. Even though I walk through the valley. The language here is of Threatening environments. Notice, I walk through it, and you are with me. You comfort me. You sustain me. Every mountain has its valleys, and the best route to the top is always along the valleys. And I want you to notice in this verse, it says, even though I walk through the valley. Some of you are in a valley right now. Valleys are hard, aren't they? <laughs> because it's painful and it's difficult. Psalm 84, 5 says, How blessed is the man whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. Passing through the valley of weeping or Baca, they make it a spring. Psalm 84, 5 and 6. The early rain also covers it with blessings. He will be with us through the steep climbs of life. Yes, even when we die, our shepherd will still be by our side. We've had some painful losses uh, just in the last couple of months in this congregation. And, uh, you know, little Leanna that we, we showed you her picture, um, you know, her going home to be with the Lord before her second birthday is hard. And the, the family is walking through the valley of the shadow. Uh, I've told you the story before, but I think it's worth repeating. 
master preacher and theologian Donald Gray Barnhouse was widowed at a young age. He lost his wife, and he had a daughter that he was going to raise on his own. She was six years old at the time, and he was in the city with her after the mother's passing, and they were standing at a corner at a stoplight, and um, they were getting ready to cross the street, and a huge truck came by, and the shadow of the truck really frightened the little girl. And she jumped in her daddy's arms, and she was afraid. And, you know, they say in the story that Barnhouse, as brilliant of a theologian as he was, he just was having difficulty trying to help his little daughter with the loss of their mom. And he didn't even know how to deal with his own grief, let alone try to help a six-year-old little girl. But at a moment of time, as that shadow came by, he, he got a revelation from heaven, if you will, and he said, sweetie, when that truck came by, you were scared. And she said, yes. And he said, would you have rather been hit by the shadow of the truck or the truck itself? And she said, the shadow, daddy, the shadow. He said, that's what happened when mommy died. She wasn't hit by the truck of death, but by the shadow, because Jesus was hit by the truck so that we could be delivered from death itself. Philip Keller, in his brilliant book, says, I was keenly aware of this consolation when my wife went to higher ground. For two years, we had walked through the dark valley of death, watching her beautiful body being destroyed by cancer. As death approached, I sat by her bed, her hand in mine. Gently, we passed through the valley of death. Both of us were quietly aware of Christ's presence. There was no fear just going on to higher ground. I'm a Dodger fan, and uh, I love to watch Dodger games and listen to the broadcast. And Charlie Steiner is one of the Dodger broadcasters on radio. And uh, he was talking about a Dodger player who had been hurt and was on the, uh, whatever they call it, the, the DL. And a uh, disabled list. And he said, he went on to say, this player... It's been determined that they are day-to-day. And then he said, aren't we all? (laughs) And I thought, I'm listening to the Dodger game. This is amazing. Charlie Steiner became a preacher just for a moment. He's been listed the player day-to-day. Aren't we all? (laughs) Wow. I kind of wondered if that struck some people as they were listening to a baseball game. You see... We are all day to day, but we're all going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death because death is not the end. To be absent from the body is to be, is to be at home with the shepherd. Amen? Amen? Yes. We're going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We're not going to stay there. And the reason that we're not going to stay there is because Jesus walked through the, the valley for us. Verse 4. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It speaks of protection and discipline. Uh, Sometimes sheep need discipline. They say the the rod, the young shepherds would become experts with the rod. They would use it as a warning tool for wayward sheep. If a sheep was going astray, the shepherd could take this rod and at great speed throw it and hit like a rock next to the sheep and the sheep would turn around around. And come back. We've all seen the shepherd's staff where you kind of pull in the sheep back. Well, the rod was used this way. It was a rod of discipline, but a rod of warning. In the book of Ezekiel, it says that Israel will pass under the rod. And they say 
that when a, a, a flock would pass under the rod, in this case, the shepherd would often, he would part their, their fur to see if there was anything bothering them that was under the surface. His rod to part the fur and to warn us. I grew up in a household, I've told you before, Italian household where they weren't afraid to use corporal punishment. Most of it was threats with a sauce spoon for the marana, uh, the, that's the spaghetti sauce, right? And usually it was just a threat with the, but, but I had uh, a grandpa who was known as the barber. His name was Anufrio. How's that for an Italian name? Anufrio. They called him Nu. But Nu was known as the barber, and he had a razor strap. And if you got out of line, the barber would give you the strap to the strap of understanding to the seat of correction, if you know what I'm talking about. And Grandma would, would just throw anything at you, her shoe, a TV guide, a TV remote. It did not matter. And she seemed to have special powers because it apparently could return to her holster. It would just whack you in the head, and you go, the hair, the hair, why? <laughs> I, I told some funny uh, Italian discipline stories, and you guys, you guys know Carol that's part of our staff. She grew up in an Italian household, and she said, Pastor Michael, you were sharing those stories, and I have one. She said, my parents, you know, my mom had made tacos one night, and my dad was complaining about the tacos at the dinner table, and my mom took a taco and threw it at his head. And I thought, that's perfectly Italian, yes! That's it! Anyway, and it's not just Italians, I know. So sometimes the rod would go whistling through the air past the head, and it was a warning, and, and the Lord sometimes has to give us a warning. Sometimes the rod, we've said, Daddy spanks because he doesn't want you to get in worse trouble. So sometimes he has to discipline you. In Psalm 139, David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any hurtful way in me and lead me in the everlasting way. If I need discipline, then give it to me, Lord. The rod is emblematic of the word of God. The word of God does discipline me. It gives me great comfort when I hear it preached and I read it for myself. And there's other times when I say, ouch! It just is corrective often, but it's good nonetheless. Thy rod and thy staff, what do they do for me? They bring me comfort. Why? Because whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And I find comfort in the fact that my father cares enough about me to discipline me or pull me out of trouble with his staff. A couple of last verses. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. This uh, table preparation I love because I am a cook and I love to cook meals for people that I love. Anybody else uh, enjoy cooking out there? I, I am, uh, I'm not the prototypical guy. I'm not really good with tools, but I'm pretty good with a spatula. Uh, I can cook. And I, I actually enjoy cooking, but I'm a bit of a Nazi cook. Um, when I'm in the kitchen, I, I need like about a 30-foot perimeter. <laughs> Get out of here! What are you doing in here? Don't touch that! Why are you looking in the refrigerator? We're going to eat in six hours. <laughs> but I'm hungry! <laughs> right? But then I get mad in the kitchen because people aren't helping me, but I scared everybody away. I don't know, it's this weird thing. Do you know 
one day the Lord's going to prepare a banquet for us. I can't take you there right now, but if you read Isaiah 25 and 26, you'll see a great banquet is coming. It's known in Revelation 19 as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And uh, if you know anything about Hebrew culture, Hebrew culture loves to eat and they love to dance and they love to sing and enjoy life. Italian culture is pretty much that way. Your culture may be that way. They like to have a good time. They like to eat and hang out. And I grew up with long tables and lots of cousins and kind of a party, loud atmosphere. And I think that's part of what's here. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The high plateau of sheep ranges are also referred to as mesas, the Spanish word for tables. In fact, the use of this word is not uncommon in referring to a high plateau or a high flat top plateau of the continent. The classic example is, of course, the Table Mountain near Cape Town, which is world-renowned. So it may be seen that what David referred to as a table was actually an entire high summer range, a place that the sheep could eat. You could apply it in different ways. But he prepares that table. He sustains me. Sustenance is the idea here in this verse. And it's in the presence of my enemies. He's protecting me. And then you've anointed my head with oil. Uh, it reminds me of David being uh, anointed as king. A balm of healing. Uh, do you know that anointing oil or the oil here was actually used as bug repellent for sheep? And so the shepherd might put the oil on the head of a sheep to repel bugs. Now, if you've ever been out on a summer night and the bugs are really out, maybe you're trying to have dinner and those bees are flying near your food or you have uh, mosquitoes out, you know how much of an annoyance that could be. And sometimes I feel bad for animals who can't brush bugs away. Well, the oil here could be seen as a repellent, that things that are bugging me, things that are getting under my skin, the Lord will deal with those things. Uh, give me a balm of healing. And finally, David concludes the psalm with a couple of thoughts. My cup overflows Living waters coming from the Lord. Um, that's what he does for me. He gives me refreshment. Abundance, you could say. Consecration and abundance in verse 5. And then in verse 6, he says, Surely, he doesn't say maybe or I hope. He says, Surely goodness and loving kindness or mercy will follow me. When I follow him, these things will follow me. They'll follow me how many? All the days of my life, this speaks of blessing here, security for all eternity. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord or in the presence of the Lord. Here's my security for all eternity. And it says forever. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Amen. And we're going to dwell in the house of the Lord, not just for one day, but forever. The one who's been the shepherd to me my whole life is going to guide me into that place of green pastures and running water, still waters, and there's going to be a river of life and a tree of life, and we're going to see the shepherd face to face. Would you bow your heart with me? Father, thank you for these wonderful, precious promises. 
thank you that Psalm 23 is true. (laughs) This is not just poetry. It's not just a feel-good psalm. This is true. The Lord is my shepherd. And my good shepherd, thank you, Jesus, came to rescue me, came on a rescue mission. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that the shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. You are good. And you're going to finish what you started in each one of your sheep here. And I leave you with this beautiful benediction from Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. Would you receive it? Maybe put your hands up so you can receive it. Now, the God of peace, who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen. Would you stand? And where is he? (laughs) It's like, dad ended at 818. How could that be? There he is. Hey, I did did want to say one more thing. If you have not met the Good Shepherd and you're watching via live stream or you're here tonight, you know, he is is truly a prayer away. But he does want you to call upon him and to decide to follow him. You know, the Christian life is not just about a sinner's prayer at a camp meeting when you were a kid. The Christian life is about following the shepherd. And if you don't know him, and maybe you say, well, I prayed a prayer years ago, but your life is a disaster, and you don't know his voice and you're not walking with him, follow him as your shepherd and tell him, Lord, would you be my shepherd? Would you be my king? I want to follow you and make a decision, maybe once and for all for some of you. I am going to follow him. No turning back. No turning back. You got to decide. You got to decide for yourself. It's not enough to go into a church building. It's not enough even to be able to quote Psalm 23 and know it by heart. you got to know the shepherd of the psalm. Amen? And decide to follow him because he'll lead you where you need to be. God bless you.